Fly in a Sign is a podcast by Open Table Nashville, where our friends on the streets share their stories, thoughts, and insights. These conversations remind us that people are more than their homelessness. One of my greatest fears is losing my mind, you know what I'm saying? And being, you know, put away, you know? You know, like being in, it's, 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 it's a, you know, it's a constant. That's why I'm always self-checking myself, you know what I'm saying? Questioning whether I believe something is happening or whether, you know, then I do a checklist, mm. you know, are you. Oh, that's like how you calm yourself down? Is like, or pull yourself away, yeah, yeah. you know, as a checklist, you go, all right, did this actually happen? Okay. Is there evidence of this event happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, who was participating in the event? Is these are these people real or is this situation real? You know? So you, there's a and as you go through the checklist, you kind of, you know, if you how can I say it? I don't know how to say it. <laughs> and um, I've heard that like people who like if you like if you're stressed out, you're having an anxiety attack, if you just like look at things in the room and you say what they are, so you'll be like there's a box over there. There's a trash can over there. I right. see a, a light over there. Something, yeah. A car like, over the, there. The, the, like, and that's, and that's, that's, that's being of aware part. of your surroundings yes, can help yes. like calm you down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, my name is Edward Kehoe. I am the East side outreach worker and housing navigator for open table Nashville. Uh, Daryl, I just want to tell people uh, a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm, I'm 47. I'll be 48 this year. Uh, I'm um, decently educated. Um, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, let's see. How do you see yourself? Um, I see myself as somebody who's trying to, you know, create a living after prison okay you know it's a it's it's a difficult road coming out you know i've been out almost a year and um a lot has changed Mm. you know i was gone for almost seven years and um readjusting to society and the new way the new and the new thing the new way things are going now as opposed to how they were going you know before i was incarcerated and um that's pretty much where I'm at right now, you know, trying to get my life back together and, you know, get back on track, be a, trying to be a, uh, a contributing, um, member of society, you know, and living with the stigma of, of having, you know, been in prison and, yeah. you know, the charges I was had and having to go through that, you know, I was charged with a, a bank robbery. Um, it was, a it was an angry snap decision. It wasn't like, you know, I, I sat down like the Joker or somebody and planned it. It was something that happened on the fly. And it was a really bonehead decision I made. Yeah. Uh, before you were talking about this, like, uh, I think it was specifically around like mental illness. Yeah. But you were talking about this like specter. Yeah. Was, like mental illness. You. Having a mental illness. I'm. Well, do you think that that like is similar to like your like. Um, just now coming out of like prison, like there was this like thing that is, I've heard it described like that before. Yeah. Like, yeah. This it's thing that can be hard to escape almost. Yeah. Like it's very difficult. Yeah. Past. And you have to, you have to be honest with people. Yeah. That's the problem. 
Because if you, like, say you start a, a, any kind of relationship, such as a friendship or a, a, a dating someone or something like that, you have to be honest up front. Because if they find, or just if they find out later down the line that you have a mental illness, they, people sometimes feel as though you're hiding that from them on purpose, you know, okay. as though not, not only do you not trust them, you know, are, are they in danger? Cause mine is a, I'm schizoaffective bipolar disorder, but my mother was full blown schizophrenic. Really? And so that's a difficult to, cause you know, it's, it, we had, we share that gene mm. and I'm, I'm not, positive but i'm almost sure we ha- I have a great aunt that was also mentally ill okay. i'm not going to mention her name for sure, sure sure you know but um and having to read up on it you know that helped a lot learning about this disease oh, like learning about your family yeah. history not only that how it how it affect you know because it affects people different ways yeah and it's difficult you know that's why i don't have a lot of friends you know because okay. they because that stigma because once they find out that, because they they don't hear schizoaffective, they hear schizophrenic immediately, sure. and they think you know some babbling nutcase who's yeah, yeah. you know going to try to hurt them. One, I told this one girl, she was a bus driver, and I told her that I had this mental illness while I was trying to ask her out, you know, because okay. we were we had I was I rode this bus a lot going uh-huh. to and from work or going to my destinations, wherever I, you know, my day took me. And you would see her on the bus. Right. And she was the driver. Okay. And okay, so okay. as I, when I, after I, after I asked her uh, out, I was like, look, you know, I need to be honest with you, you know, cause we had, we had had, you know, small tete-a-tete conversations, you know, bouncing yeah. back and forth, small talk. A little flirty maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and then I, I said, uh, well, you know, I do have this mental illness. And, you know, she's like, what is it? I said, well, it's schizoaffective bipolar disorder. And she was like, her first question was, do you kill people? Oh, man. I was like, I was blown away by the question. Yeah. But it was. it also made me understand that, does she feel like I was stalking her now? You oh, know what I'm wow. saying? Right. Wow. When yeah. my feelings were genuine, you know, I'm not trying to, yeah. I mean, I managed, I managed through medication and some self-medication. I separate myself if I have um, bouts with my illness. You know, you got to find somewhere to be and with somewhere to de-escalate and how to deal, you know, how to get back on track of what you were doing. Because one of the things that comes with this illness is, is, it, is, it, is difficult attention span. Yeah. You know, your attention is easily swayed. So whenever I'm doing something, I concentrate strongly, yeah. I guess to say. Yeah. And it's, uh, so, you know, that's it. But there's a, if I'm not mistaken, I heard that some guy was killed a couple of weeks ago or last Saturday or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob Griffin um, was, uh, he was shot and killed by the police in Nashville off of Nolansville mm. behind the Goodwill that he camped at and the Goodwill that he used to work at. Oh. Uh, I believe that was, I think it was May Day, like uh, May 1st. Might have to double check that, but yeah. Well, after hearing about the incident and hearing how it went down, the one thing that I didn't hear a lot of was de-escalation techniques. You know, yeah. it appeared to me that 
the officers were fatigued by the incident and that may have contributed, but I'm not, this is just my opinion. Yeah. But you know, I think what's was interesting about that specific scenario was that, um, he specifically, uh, uh, he, he had a gun and so people believed that he was already dangerous. Mm. Um, and because of that, they, the de-escalation techniques that you're talking about, like the police treated that as if they, needed to go in there like already armed and like, right, they, right. for, for on their perspective, they were absolutely using de-escalation techniques. However, any de-escalation technique with a gun pointed at someone is no longer de-escalating the situation. At least I would say, what, what do you think? I think that, um, I think that there should be more attention paid to, uh, de-escalation techniques, you Just know, general, dealing with, yeah. dealing with, you know, mentally ill people, yeah. period. You know, because a lot of times those those incidents become inflamed because the person that's the perpetrator is under the impression that these incidents are not serious and are not taken serious enough. And that's why they get angry or irate or how do you call out of hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that. I mean, not just those guys, but all a lot of police forces, because a lot of people are literally losing it nowadays yeah. because they're I mean, in these days and times with with the with with the covid, the pandemic and, you know, pressures of of cabin fever and stuff, you know, yeah. people are kind of losing touch with their current realities. I'm not saying they're going, I'm just saying they're losing touch with their current realities, you know, the, their, their life in general. And so that's, I think that, that we could benefit as a people, a species in America, if we had better training, you know, more, instead of having a, um, a person who, whose specialty is just teaching de-escalation techniques, having an actual psychiatrist or a psychologist teach these classes, you know, so that they could benefit more positively from them. Um, Beyond like, it seems like from what you're saying that like our society isn't like properly like prepared to deal with these types of uh, situations and these types of illnesses that people have. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there's like lots of different like consequences of that. We're saying like, um, because like the intergenerational thing, like with your mother, um, mm-hmm. possibly your grandmother as my well, great aunt. like or your great aunt. Sorry. Yeah. It would, it would have been my grandmother's sister. Okay. Um, yeah. So it sounds like because we weren't able to deal with it then, like it's something that like right. you right. weren't prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like for Jacob Griffin, it like, um, it, it resulted in him losing his job at uh, Goodwill and, mm. you know, becoming homeless and separated from his family, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and lots of other consequences. Are there any other consequences that you haven't realized or haven't talked about yet? Because, like, well, I'm, I'm, there, there's a certain member of my family who's a female yeah. that I'm estranged from because she went through this with my mother also. And so I think she's just fatigued with that relate with, with dealing with that kind of relationship. And so we don't even talk anymore. And there's been incidents between me and her, but that's just, it it happens, you know, and you are being, because a lot of people, 
wholesale write you off when they discover you have a mental illness. And mm. although it's not, it's a, um, it's almost like breaking up with somebody. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Cause you, cause you're like, dang, I can, this relationship has, is past the point of irrepair, irreparable. Yeah. So now it's just, you just cut it off, you know? Do you think that like comes from like, I don't know, like Hollywood or it's like, not just Hollywood. Hollywood. What do you think that like people's fear of like not knowing what to do, maybe because because the uh, I think I don't think it's Hollywood so much as the attention paid to the negative effects of this debilitating disease. Okay. Okay. Uh, in, instead of instead of sh- they shine too much light on what goes wrong in these situations. Yeah. And not how someone can benefit from, not benefit, how someone can continue a relationship with someone who has a mental illness. They don't discuss that part. Mm. You know, they always discuss what what could go wrong, what could go wrong. Yeah. You know, instead of saying, well, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? How can this, how, how, how can this relationship not only be repaired, but bloom afterwards? Yeah. You know, into a, into a, you know, a normal, it's never going to be a normal relationship, but it can be a fruitful relationship. You know, you can grow closer mm-hmm. because of these, because of these, um, pressure builds diamonds. Adversity can like, right, shape relationships right. into something beautiful. Yes. Sure. Yes. You yeah. know, um, I've heard people like, especially not just even with mental illness, but like with like all problems really like hope that there is some magic light switch out there. That's flip. <laughs> um, but really it sounds like what you're talking about. is just like, it is something that you like constantly work with and you constantly yeah. are working yes. to become better, but knowing that like you may never be at 100% and like, right. having some sense of like, I don't know, like, okay, being okay with that. Right. Right. At my core, I'm an artist. At your core, you're an artist. Yeah. Uh, that, it what does that mean out, to you to be an artist? It's it's difficult. You know, it's something that I work on. It's a, it's a constant shaping of your your skill, honing your craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started out as a calligrapher. I'm still a calligrapher. Yeah. Um, I've even sold. I sold an. I have sold an entire alphabet, uppercase and lowercase letters, to a gallery in Louisville, Kentucky. That was at the bottom of this old high school called St. Francis. They had a gallery there. And I just happened to be drawing one day on a bench in front of the gallery. And the guy walks up and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing calligraphy. This is what I do. This is the basis. The, the, that's my oldest form of art. I started probably about three years old. My grandfather used to work at a newspaper. And the top of the, the, the heading on the newspaper was in, it was in old English letters. Mm-hmm. And so I would draw them. You know, it start, I would start out tracing and then freehanded. Now I have my own, I do have my own alphabet now. Uh, it's called Archer Script. Um, what was that again? Archer Strip? Archer Script. Okay. It's based off of bows and arrows. Oh. It's made, you know, like the, like part of the A is the, the slash in the middle of the A is arrow. And each side of each letter is a bow. Okay, okay. But there's, you know, there's highlights and accents in it. Mm-hmm. And um, then I started sketching. 
um, I, I guess I could say my very first picture I ever sketched was a '57 Chevy car, and that was it was a, it was it was more of a competition between me and a friend of mine. Though it was in like the third grade. I even still oh, wow, remember that's the really tape. Young. Yeah, it was it was uh, my, my teacher's name was Miss Yule at the time. I was going it was at an elementary school in, um, in Louisville, Kentucky. Then I, then I started painting and I do whittling. I write poetry. I'll, I have a I have a poem book of poems that's in the Library of Congress. Uh, one of the reasons why I copyrighted it is because so I wouldn't lose it. You oh, know, okay. it's, now it's 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 uh it's in the Library of Congress. It's nice, you know. Um, it's some of my best work. I've written commercials for um, radio, a couple radio stations in Louisville. Um, I'm currently working on a book um, about the oldest vampire. It's a character from someone else's series, so I won't mention it until I finish the book and then present it to the the actual author whose character this is based off of. And I want to, and I'm, and I have these. I've been working on notes on a play. It's a, uh, it's a play about hip hop music and dance from an artist who's been in hip hop and still is, almost from the beginning of it, and they're still active and they still record. And one of the premises of it is to trace hip hop dance through this person's music because mm-hmm. he makes such a diverse library of music that almost all the dances that have come through hip hop, they've danced to this guy's music. Okay. And so until I finish that, I'm not going to mention it <laughs> either because I don't want it stolen. <laughs> That's fine. Did you? Was there anything that specific you wanted to share? Maybe or um, nothing. To, I mean, you know, uh, having a forum like this, I guess I wrote down some notes. I wanted to discuss um, the difficulties in about the, and and shine some light on the difficulties of foster care because I'm a previous okay foster child. I was aged out, and I didn't know I was aged out until I was at college. <laughs> And um, I've been to a, quite a few foster homes and, and group homes, and it's just, it's so stressed out. Yeah. It's not that foster care is a, is a bad thing. It's just they don't have enough help. You know, maybe it's, maybe they could do something better with the salaries. I don't know. Maybe they could, you know, make, train more people to do, to work in foster care or have a foster care incentive program to help because there's a lot of, there's a lot of kids that are on the street now that I'll give you an example. I didn't hold a $20 bill until I was like 17 years old. Okay. You see that's, and that's how I was in foster care a long time. One of the, one of the things that's, 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 uh, that, that, that's in foster care is the, is the extreme poverty. Yeah. You have to live below the means, you know, I like one of the reasons why I didn't do, I, I didn't do as well as I wanted to in school was because, you know, you can only get one pair of shoes for a year or a certain period of time, you know, cause it's difficult to, you know, what happens if your shoes get stolen or now it's an emergency like situation the world okay. you'll, they'll be replaced, but I'm saying okay. it's just one pair of shoes. You yeah, know, yeah. you get one pair of tennis shoes, maybe one pair of dress shoes and those have to, you know, you have to care for those. Mm-hmm. And over time wearing tear, you know, people make fun of you. 
because you're, you know, you're in class, but they see you in the same shoes every day. And that's one of, you know, like that, 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 that might be a focal point of rubbing or ribbing, you know, when, when, when kids rib each other, that could be a focal point, but they don't understand that this, this is that kid's only pair of shoes. You know, it's not like they leave and go put on some Jordans when they leave school. You know, it's a, why do you think kids do that to each other? Oh, it's just it's it's just kids being kids. Yeah, you know I can't say that you know they're, they're, that's a reason why kids do stuff to each other, but foster care really needs a a, a light shine on it. And one of the one of the people that I think lost their way as a as a politician oh, okay. was Hillary Clinton. Really? Because I read in her books. Yeah. I read a book. I uh, one of her books and. Her original platform when she became a politician mm-hmm. was child advocacy. Yeah. And I've noticed that she doesn't discuss this anymore. I mean, not publicly as she discusses the other forms and things that go on in her life. Yeah. But if she, I believe if she, if she would have went back to, went, went back to her roots of child advocacy, she may have won the presidency. Yeah. You know, I think that was, you know, one of the things that would have helped her. Anyway, but. You know, that's that's just my opinion, though. You know, I'm not saying I'm right or wrong or my my opinion is the best, but that's how I feel about it. You know, I feel like and she might have benefited better as a person and been more. How can I say happy with her life? Her life would have her life. I'm not saying like her while life's over. I'm just saying <laughs> it would it, she would have felt more enriched her life. She would have felt like that her life has been more enriched if she would have went back to her original platform, yeah. child advocacy. I can understand that. So talk to me more about the um, the specific like foster homes and group, group homes themselves. Like what were those oh. like for people that like may just know about them, but like, wow. can't really picture how that could be like something that might need more attention because they well, can't really step into one every day. Right, right. Like someone who like yourself used some, to. Some of, so I've been now. I've, I've seen, I've seen the, 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 the nice the nice foster homes and nice group homes I've seen the rough ones yeah. the hardcore ones you know some that where you're all where you're constant you know you're constantly battling for position as a as a child in these group homes I was I was in one foster home where there was like seven seven boys in the attic and like four girls in the in the basement <laughs> and this foster parent she would literally take a chain and put it around the refrigerator at night after yeah no more eating after dinner period yeah she had locks on the she had locks on her cabinets and stuff but you're you're their children they need to eat you know yeah. and that was one of the that was one of the that was one of the my one of my worst foster my worst foster homes i would say the worst because we were we were we were just housed and you know she was i'm not she was just one of those people that was drawing money for the children you know that was her oh like that's like it's like her job yeah okay. and she's not didn't she didn't care for kids right because for- i know i don't i don't even remember what this lady looked like really i may have seen her five times in the six months i stayed with her. really yeah huh. we were always dealing with the uncle or the nephew or one of her brothers or okay. you know what i'm saying but it, she was she was not there. She was not the nurturer. Hmm. You know, it was like she was like the, 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 the boss. The, yeah, the boss of the babysitters. Yeah. You know? 
And that was a difficult foster home. I mean, I literally, one time, a kid literally put a match in between my toes while I was asleep and set it on fire. Oh, my God. You see what I'm saying? You deal with stuff like that. And not being under supervision, the older kids were being crueler to the younger kids. And because they knew there was going to be no reprisal, you know, it went pretty far, you know, to where one point, one time, they were, the older kids were making us fight each other. Really? Yeah. And nobody was doing nothing, you know? And I'm like, as looking back on that, I'm like, didn't they hear all that jumping and bumping and screaming downstairs? Mm-hmm. You know, why did... Like, I had this one foster mother. Oh, my goodness. I forgot about this one. I had this one foster mother who had a chitlin bucket, and she would put the chitlin bucket in your bedroom and lock the door at nighttime when you went to bed. And that would, and she wouldn't so, unlock. She wouldn't come back until it was until she got up in the morning and unlocked the door, and you used the chitlin bucket as a bathroom. You know how small so, a chitlin bucket is? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little red like three gallon bucket, <laughs> man, it's, it's difficult. That was so that one. was, so the bucket was like, didn't have chitlins in it. It was just no, like, no, 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 no. It was no, like it the was old a, one that you get from the grocery store. Right. It was no, they, no, it wasn't chitlins in the bucket. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no. Yeah. I'm just okay, saying. I just want yeah. to be clear yeah. for our listeners. The old, the yeah, old yeah. red chitlin bucket that they yeah. used to sell chitlins in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was the, ba- that was the bathroom after, after you went to bed. After she would lock the door. So was it just like there was just like no trust at all to like. I don't know what her problem was. You know, she smoked five packs of cigarettes a day and chewed on ice. I don't understand that either. But anyway, but I had this one foster mother. Okay. She, uh, Mrs. Kelly. I loved her to death. Okay. We went to church all the time and that was really boring, but she was a nurturer. You know, if you had a problem, you could talk to this. And, you know, there are good foster parents out there and good people that want to be foster parents out there. But because of the hoops and hurdles, a lot of people don't get approved or, you know, there may be some little, I don't know. But foster care as a whole needs to have some kind of light shined on it, you know, Mm. so that more people will step up to take in foster kids. Because there's a lot of people on the streets that were previously foster children. A lot. Do you know any here in Nashville? Or? Yeah, I know uh, quite a few. Yeah. 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 Um, but that's all I had to say about that pretty much. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. My current ambitions right at this moment are to get a CDL and be a truck driver. But if I had my druthers, I would go to, I would go to some type of school and train to be a, a, uh, a fitness instructor or a fitness coach. But, a one-on-one basis, not for a whole team. You know, I have like, I like s- for like Olympic athletes yeah, or per yeah, professionals. A, yeah, like the professionals. Private- yeah. yeah, like I had, I even wrote a list. I would love to train, strength train and technique train Simone Biles and Gabby Douglas. Okay, uh, Clarissa Shields. Even uh, what is what is uh, Serena's daughter's name? Olympia, oh, Olympia yeah. Williams. Yeah, I would yeah. love to be her her strength her strength coach when she becomes an athlete because she's it looks like she's going that way yeah. anyway. Or even Tiger Woods, I would I would like to help him with his with some of his techniques. Started taking the golf world by storm. They did. They literally called 
tigerizing a golf course. They made it. Yeah. Huh. It was literally. Yeah. They would tigerize a golf course. They would make the, they would make the dog legs longer or they would, they would, they would make the, uh, what do you call it when you first, the, the tee farther? Mm. Uh, they put more sand pits in, mm. you know, to accommodate for Tiger's skill. At the same time, bringing the skill, bringing, bringing the rest of the sport up, but they were based on his limitations. Yeah, yeah, and so by him stressing all the time, that's where you're, that's why I think he's had those knee surgeries. Or, but as a as a positive um, strength and technique coach, I've played. Now I'm not saying this out of inexperience. I've played baseball, basketball, football, and ran track and field. Been on two championship teams for track and field. One 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 with uh, the Wood the Woodford County. Tigers and one with a basketball team at Rice Ottoman, one of my uh, group homes. Oh, but okay. we played all the other, the all the other camps. The, all the other group camps homes had a sports a, a team. Camp. Yeah, it was a camp. It wasn't. It was. It was. It was a group home, but it was a. Yeah, they had a sports team. They had a, they had a large camp. Huh. It's called a uh, Kentucky Children's Home Rice Ottoman. We had a basketball team, and we ran over. We ran over a bunch of, t- but we had a, we had a good coach. We had a, a well put together team, but we're talking about, you know, we worked wood and a lot of the camps had jobs. And so we're talking about not just athletes, but athletes who had, whether we're stronger, it was like, huh. you know, stronger, faster, you know, because we, you know, we busted wood every day, you know, pretty much a lumberjack. Literally. Wait, what do you mean you busted wood? Busted wood. All right. When a tree comes in, they would if, if companies instead of paying to have the tree destroyed or removed, they would bring it out to this camp. We would take the tree, put it up on put it up on a, on on put it up on horses, cross saw it into cookies, okay. and then turn and then bust the cookies up and stack them into ricks. A rick is a literal rick is four by eight, four feet high by eight feet long. And that's what I mean by busting. So it's like it's like logging. Yeah, basically, it is logging. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. we're creating firewood. Hold on, let's let's take a step back. So, one of the group homes you uh, lived at, how many how many people were there? I would say there was four groups. I think there was four or five groups, and each one had twelve. Each each group had twelve. So there's forty or some odd kids. Yeah, and and then. You you lived there with some of your forty odd kids, uh, and it was also like a camp where you had to work there, yeah. and be a logger, and they had a they sold the wood. Teams? Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. They had a softball team, so they had a baseball it's, it's team. It's almost like a they had a softball team and a basketball team. It's like a it's like a village or something. <laughs> you could say that. I learned my best carpentry at that at that place too. They had a they also had a vocational school there. Were you? Were you forced to work there? Or? Yeah. Well, it was it was a consequence of of being kicked out of another group home for oh, so violent, it was like for fighting. Weird, like cross between a group home and like juvie or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Okay, Actually, okay. there was a yeah. This was back in the eighties. Now. Yeah. This was you know this was a different time. I'm not saying that you know it's better or worse today, but I'm saying that this was this was a time when you know. Discipline was pretty rough back then. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this it's it sounds like a labor camp. Yeah, the way you're describing it, I mean, and we were allowed to smoke. 
You were allowed to smoke? Yeah, you what paid age? 15. To, oh my gosh. I was in this camp. I can't remember. It was in, it was in the late, I, I want to say 87, 88. This was before cigarettes were banned to or anybody under 18. Okay, okay. And you could buy cigarettes there and you had cigarette breaks and yeah. Wait, so they, they also had a company store? Yeah. Did they pay you in money or did they yeah. pay you in like like company script? Like Well, you can't. You there was nowhere to go to spend the money, but they would give you money. Yeah. They had yeah. vending machines. Yeah, you get paid money. But you could also have okay. that you could but you you they did have a store on campus. You know, you yeah. can't just take a bunch of juveniles to Walmart. Yeah, are, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I can I'm not gonna yeah. I just know that like Especially like Kentucky is like yeah. also very well known for like oh I shouldn't say just Kentucky like all of Appalachia is like really well known for having like company stores and company yeah. scripts <laughs> and like you know making it so that like people like can't really like spend their right, right. what they earned like right. outside the company just kept it, yeah, yeah and just kept them in debt and and and, and yeah no it was it wasn't a, it wasn't an indentured servant situation but if you didn't work they they sent you to another camp where you were probably locked up. So it's either do that or, you know, go get locked up. Yeah. Well, I guess since we're talking about work, um, after like you were 18, I imagine is when mm-hmm. you were, uh, asked to leave or kicked out. Or yeah. Whatever. Aged out. Aged out. Yeah. It's called aged yeah, out yeah, yeah. where they're, you know, they're, they're not allowed to care for you after that. You know, you're, you're an adult now. Yeah. So you have to, but before when I was at, uh, I had to, before I was, I was, uh, I did work at a, I had a couple summer jobs and I worked at K bar while I was a foster child. And that's what I was saying. I didn't, I didn't even have, have a 20, I didn't hold a $20 bill till I was like 16 or 17. Cause that was when I got my job. So, you know, poverty has been a, is, 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 is a, is a rough part of foster care. And so, you know, it's See? difficult to, you know, I, I can't say just throw money at the situation, but to not just, financing but also training you know and better care you know anyway so how much did they pay you exactly what? you're saying that you haven't you'd never hold a 20 dollar bill yeah before that because i never forever. earned i've never I, ne- I was never you know but like, you got like 15 dollars oh you talking about that camp that i was telling you yeah, about? oh yeah. 15 a week 15 a week yeah for how many hours huh oh goodness I don't know, maybe four hours a day, five days a week. Okay. Half a day on Sunday. What's that? Maybe 24, 25 hours a week. Jeez, for 15 bucks a week. (laughs) And they actually added, the state allowed them to give you $5 a week. They actually, we actually sold the wood too. Yeah. And so they would pay us an extra $10. So. You so really being, working. Real, you're nice really, yeah. You're really getting five dollars a week. It's just that they, that that particular camp would keep would pay you another ten dollars a week. That's very, yeah. very nice of them. So, what are some other uh, other jobs that you've had? Oh man, I worked in a I worked at a big and tall shop. But it was more of a tailoring shop. Okay. I learned a lot about sizing and um, how clothes are made. You know, um, I worked at. I worked at a floral delivery company before. I've delivered flowers. I delivered sandwiches one time. I was a bike delivery, a bike sandwich delivery. Is that like Jimmy John's or something? Something like Jimmy John's. (laughs) It was Jimmy John's. (laughs) Yeah, it was in Louisville. Uh, 
I was a manager of a music store one time. Um, I worked at a bookstore. That was fun. Uh, yeah, working was, it was a, it was a, it was a book slash comic book store. It was that was back oh, when okay. they had. I don't know if they still play Magic the Gathering, but that oh, was back do. when yeah. they did. Yeah, it was back when that started. Um, it was a nice place. There was used books, uh, magazines, stuff like that. Um, some video games, but it's mostly books. Um, and I've worked in the Grand Canyon. Okay, tell me about that. Oh, that was that was that was. If I'd have known then what I know now, I'd still be working at the Grand Canyon. It what was. A, it's a beautiful place, man. It's a, it's a it's enriching. You know, it's it's. Uh, I mean, you're looking at one of the most pretty things in nature every day, and you work there, and they pay you. You know, I was a I was a. Uh, How did you start that? that wow, I was work. I uh, we got a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just happened to say, interviewing today at this hotel, uh, Grand Canyon Jobs. And me and my buddy were like, let's go check it out. You know, because I was like, where can this be? So you go, we filled out the application and got the job. And so you had, to, you had to get out there to the Grand Canyon and, you know, they trained you. And it was, I mean, it was a nice job, man. You, you see you wildlife doing? all the time. Well, I was a, I wanted to be a front desk clerk, but you have to start out as a maid. So okay. you were, I was cleaning 16 rooms a day. Um, that was, I mean, that's a, that's a job. Um, cleaning 16 rooms a day. You can't live there unless you work there. You can't like go rent a room. You can't go like rent so you an can't apartment. Like, yeah. You can't find somewhere cheaper to live with a bunch of your coworkers or something. Right. Like right. You have to, you have, you have to live there if you work there. Trust me. You don't want to live. You don't want to commute to the Grand Canyon. It's like 90 miles to the next town. Because it's so big, you know. It's uh, I think there's a route from uh Flagstaff that gets you there too. I saw moose, you know. It was uh, wild. Um, it sounds pretty different than Louisville. Oh, a little bit. Yeah. It's a little bit. The squirrels were huge. They were like the size of cats and dogs. They were big. They were big, and they were, and they they actually had signs that said, "Please don't feed the squirrels." And there were squirrels that made a living just hanging out on the rim, getting food from tourists, picking up French fries and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, that was weird. But you know, it's nature. You know, it was a it was a nice job. I liked it. I actually loved it. If I could do it again, I would. But you know, I'm just at an age right now where it's not feasible. I'm I'm in a place in my life where it's just not possible. What's the Grand Canyon like? I've never actually seen it. Oh wow, it's huge! It's it's the layers, call the it sediment, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's the the it's it, I want to call it sedimentary rock to where it's layered, different mm-hmm. colors, and there's you know valleys and you know there's trees are huge. Everything's big there, man, and it's vivid. Mm. You know, it's not it's not it's it doesn't suffer too much from the problems we have in city life, you know, because it's federally protected land. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. national park. Yeah. So. It's a national park. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it, gosh, it's breathtaking. I literally had to remind myself to breathe the first time I looked inside the Canyon. It was, it's, it, you know, now I understand the meaning of the word breathtaking. Nah, I've never hiked it, but I've hiked around around the top of it, but I haven't hiked, you know, down in it. Yeah. Well, he always talked about the uh, the tourists that would want to go, go yeah. to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, Maybe. a lot of tourists would, would have to take a donkey down. 
because of uh, it was so steep and they would wear themselves out. Mm. So the donkey would stop. You can't force a donkey to keep going, literally. And so that would help them with the rest. There were several stopping points along those trails that they could rest and chill, you know, and, and re, uh, you know, recharge the batteries, you know, so to speak. Well, it sounds like a pretty good job. Um, were there any uh, really bad jobs that you had other than um, the one you were just talking about at the groom home? Or Oh, yeah. I mean, there's quite a few, you know. Oh, my worst job that I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> Working women's shoes in the mall during yeah. the Christmas season. Okay. That is... Like I mean, slaves. Yeah, during yeah, during, you know, from October to no to January. So, like the rest of the year, it's it's, it's fine. Like, yeah, but during but like the, Christmas, whoa, is like, you talking about a war zone? Women are not playing about their shoes, Jack, in the mall. <laughs> and I mean, you have to you have to keep going back and forth, back and forth. One guy logged. They hit. They put one of those ankle things on him, and so, like, he logged. How many? Yeah, how, how far he went? Oh, okay, okay. In one shift, eighteen miles. Really? <laughs> yeah. Just going like back and forth, back and forth, and yeah. Helping people out, yeah. Eighteen yeah. miles, yeah. Wow. But this was a large shoe department in a huge. Yeah. I think the store was called Lazarus, hmm. and it, it was huge. They had a huge store. They had a huge shoe department. But yeah, they logged in. They logged in at eighteen miles. I was like, wow, how is that even possible? And you know, but it was in a, like a ten-hour shift, though. You know. So the walking is what made it such a hard job. Yeah, or? yeah, and yeah. Were the customers like really demanding or not really? Some of them were. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah. It wasn't about the customer. It was the work itself. Sure. Is what it was just excruciating. You know, you know. We, I bought. We bought some of those. Those. Uh, they had these insoles that had gel inside them, okay. like a liquid. I busted three pair of them working that job. Just like carved a hole in. No, or? it had juice. You know, there was like a gel and a juice. Oh, you like popped and it. Popped it. Oh wow! All three pair. I didn't think you could even do that. Yeah. Did you want to talk about um, the papers that you had written? Oh, um, I had this paper that I wrote while I was in prison, and I mailed it out to as many people as I could. Um, I got two responses. Um, they were. They were responses from one from the EPA and one from the uh, one from the EPA and one from the USDA. I want I can't remember the title of it. I think it was something like uh, Planetary Re- Repair and Replenishment Plan. Okay. And it was a step by step instructions on how to fix the planet. And I did a lot. I mean, it, it wasn't. I didn't do this willy nilly. Yeah. You know, I did the study in and, you know, you know, put in the work that it took to write this thing. It was like four pages. What do you mean when you say fix the planet? What does that mean? Like repair, like cleaning the water up, getting getting more oh, plants so like out. from like an ecological. Yeah, from an ecological standpoint, you know, oh, to okay. where it's not, you know, where deforestation. Yeah. I had a plan for reforestation and okay. it was a step-by-step plan on how to do that. Um, it was a long time ago. I was, I was really gung ho about the ecosystem back then, but it's easy to do from a jail, from a prison cell, you know, man. Um, you know, you have plenty of time to sit and study and write and read, but I also worked in the library. So the material was easy, was, was easily available to me to study this, you know, and, and it was, you know, 
I'm still gung ho about the planet. I still want, you know, I still want the earth to be in a better spot. You know, I, you know, even if, if, if I could, I would, I would go so far as to try to work with Greta Thunberg. I'm not sure I'm saying her name right. Greta Thunberg, the girl that says, how dare you tear up the planet and leave it for us. You know, I should be in school reading or writing and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's gonna, she's gonna have a rough time, but it's, it's worth it. You know, even though it's an arduous job, it is definitely worth it, you know, doing work such as that, you know. So what is it exactly like before you went to prison? Is that something that you cared about or was something you learned that you cared about while you were in prison? It actually happened by accident. I was going to this community college and we were told to take, pick a subject and take take information from different sources and format it onto a bullet point. What do you call it? A bullet point. Yeah. Bullet point presentation. Well, for some reason, I was like, well, shoot, I'll just do it on um, um, polar bears. And so as I'm gathering this information about polar bears, I'm noticing that everything that I'm trying to suggest to fix the polar bear situation, the numbers aren't working out. Oh, okay. Their land is getting smaller. Yeah. You know, and so for some reason, I was so angry. I was like, what did the polar bear do to have his home destroyed? It's not like a California condor to where he can just fly to another forest. Yeah, yeah. You know, they can't, you know, a polar bear can't live in, you know, in a, in a, in a, a sanctuary in Africa or Australia or Southern Texas, you know what I'm saying? They have to have the pole, you know, they have to have polar climate situation in order to live. Yeah. 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 And so I started doing research. I started, you know, I, I, I put together a plan on how to, on a timeline, because you can't just like put up a million trees today and be like, it's fixed. You, know, you have to do this over a period of time. Yeah. You know, you have to repair these, this part first and then move this way and then take this part, repair this part in order for the, so that the ecosystem jumps itself back and starts repairing itself. Uh, one of them was cleaning up the oceans. You know, I, I developed a, a, a filter haven, drew it up and I developed a, a filtration system and I lost all this information when I was released. Oh, okay. I had taken a class to get good time to get some days back. Well, come to find out, once I finished the class, my good time would be pushed back and I'd be released the moment that that, and I didn't know that. And so I'm so happy that they were like, get out of here. You know, I was like, (laughs) yeah. I just picked so much stuff up and I kept this, I kept all these, all these notes and information under my mat. Mm. And I never picked my mat up. And it's, and I don't know what happened to it, you know. But hopefully, if somebody found it, then you know they they're, they're you know maybe they can help you know pick up the baton, I guess, on all the research I did because it was a lot of information, and I don't even remember most of it because one of one one of the one of the things that that keeps me from it keeps my mental illness from developing or becoming more prominent is con- the constant flow of information. You know, I'm always reading the paper. I'm always filling myself with more information and more information so that my mind stays strong. 
you know, because you, I mean, you let this, you let this get out of hand, Jack, and you will be in a padded room. <laughs> So to, I mean, that's not so to speak. I mean, literally. You had a lot of different things that you wanted to talk about today. Yeah, um, definitely you. covered a lot. Thank you. Um, is there anything that you want to like leave us with, or um, I would you ask think it's important say, for the people to know either about you or about anything that you talked about? Nothing in particular, but I would leave you with this tidbit of information. I read, "I lead the planet in better shape than you found it," and I guess that's it. Because our friends live such complicated lives, it can be hard to know what will happen next. A month or so after this interview was recorded, Daryl just disappeared, and we haven't heard from him since. 